I see the effects of what God's doing. Like if you see a tree full of leaves and all of this stuff, and you start seeing that wind blowing, you start seeing leaves fall. But when you see a group of people who come in with so much stuff on their life, all of these different things in their life, and you start seeing things falling off, that's evidence that God is moving. God is blowing stuff off of people's lives. I'm looking around, and I'm seeing the evidence of God everywhere. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. So, I'm having a hard time containing myself today. <laughs> I'm like an emotional wreck. I am like all over the place. I got, I'm, got joy. I got tears. and I'm a mess. That's what the Lord does. But I'm really excited about not just today, not just today's sermon, not just because I'm preaching or like I like to hear myself preach or something like that. <laughs> I'm excited about today. I'm excited about the whole month of July. I'm excited about what God's doing in this ministry. Like, I am just, I'm thrilled. I'm so grateful to God. So, as Pastor Carl said, we are starting a new series today. That series is going to last the entire month of July, leading up to our July 31st Freedom Encounter. If y'all haven't signed up, again, I encourage y'all to sign up. Listen. <laughs> the fact that we do this the fact that we don't charge, the fact that we go through all the trouble of putting this on and studying, that should testify to you about something. If it wasn't productive, we wouldn't do it. We have other things we could be doing on a Saturday. We could be resting and spending time with our family. The fact that we go through all of this stuff is because we know how productive it is. We know it produces fruit. We have been through encounters. I got set free from stuff on encounter. Soul ties, all different kind of things that set me free. And I've, I've led encounters with Pastor Call, and I've seen people get set free. So I'm telling you, if you want to get free, sign up. Sign up. That's, I mean, we can't force anybody, but the most we can do is make it as easy as we can make it for y'all to get there. It's here. It's free. Just show up and let God just do a work in your life. Amen? So this is going to be a good month all the way through because that Saturday, July 31st is Saturday. we got our Freedom Encounter. Then the next morning, we got our water baptisms, which is an, one of my favorite things to do is baptize new believers. And then that night, Sunday night, I don't know if Pastor Cole mentioned this, but Sunday night, we are going to have a praise and worship night. We're calling that weekend our victory weekend because people are going to get set free on a Saturday, baptized on a Sunday, and then Sunday night, we're going to praise God and thank him for everything that he did the entire month of July and that whole weekend. So it's going to be awesome. So... We're starting a new series. We're done with the last series, The Victory in the Valley, which I loved it. I thought it was phenomenal. I thought everybody that spoke on that series, me, Pastor Carl, Brother Nick, Pastor Chris, I thought everybody did a phenomenal job. But we're starting a new series today, and the series is entitled Free Indeed. Free Indeed. Jesus said if the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. Jesus made us a promise that we can have, we can experience 100% freedom. That's a promise. Many people say, oh, there's no way. You'll never be set free all the way. There'll always be stuff. That's not true. That's a lie of the devil. If Jesus said it, I believe it. If he said you can be free and free indeed, then that's what I believe. The problem is, is that most Christians are only experiencing a percentage of freedom, and they're satisfied with it. They're only experiencing 40, 50, maybe 60% of freedom. 
And one of the main reasons why is because most pastors, most churches only preach on sin. Week in and week out, they're like, repent from sin, turn from sin. And it's like, yeah, you need to. You need to repent, you need to turn from sin. But there's other things you can be bound to besides sin. So you can get completely set free of sin and still be a slave. And it's like, that's all they care about is, oh, as long as you're not sinning. Man, what about, what about me being bound to addiction? What about me being bound to anxiety? What about me being bound to fear? You don't care about that? We need to preach 100% freedom that you can be free from everything in Jesus' name. Everything. No chains, no shackles, no everything. Free and free indeed. With that being said, the message I'm bringing to you today, let's start in our series. I've entitled The Minefield. The Minefield. I believe that freedom starts in the mind. Freedom starts in the mind. The Bible says that as a man thinks, so is he. So you could be set free physically. Listen, there's people in jail who are behind bars, who know Jesus, who are set free mentally. There's people out here in the world that aren't behind bars that are bound, bound in their mind. And the Bible says, as a man thinks, so is he. So if you in your mind are a slave to something, you're a slave. If you're bound to something mentally, you're bound. Freedom has to start here. It has to start in the mind. There's so many different voices in our mind. There's so many different things that we deal with mentally that keep us bound. So many people, they get bound to a certain thought. You got a certain thought in your mind, and it's like that thing traps you, and you get trapped by it, and all of a sudden, that's all you could think about. That's all you could focus on, and you become a slave to it. Listen, the way the enemy plays this game, the field he uses is the mind. From the very beginning with Adam and Eve, he didn't, he wasn't, it wasn't physical. It was mental. He cast a lie, made them believe it, and it trapped them. This is the same field he plays on today. The field that, we, that battles are won and lost on is the minefield. Right here is where people are free and people are bound. Right here is where people win and people lose. Right here in the mind. So that's what we need to start at today. We need to start with the minefield. I want to look at the story of David and Goliath. But I want to look at it in a different perspective today. So many people preach on that story. But they look at the physical aspect of it. They look at David being small, and they look at Goliath being big, and they look at the physical. I want to look at the mental. I want to look at the things that David went through, that Saul, that Israel, that they all went through mentally. All of the things they had to overcome in their mind before they even got to, to Goliath. There's so many things that people skip over. They start at David and Goliath. They don't realize that there were some things that David had to go through mentally before he ever got to Goliath. And there's some things in your life you might say, well, I'm right here. Well, there's some things that you went through before you ever got to this place that you need to deal with. There's some things in your past that people are skipping and overlooking. They don't realize that there's some stuff back there that's deep-rooted that you need to get set free of. See, the problem is we start here and now. You need to go back. You need to go back. See, right now we're looking at the fruit. You need to go to the root. That's the problem. So many people, they see a tree. And they got, they got different stuff on it. They want to cut it down. If they just cutting off the fruit, guess what? That tree will keep producing until you get to root of the problem. And that's what we need to start up with David. We need to go back. We need to start further back. Now, this is a long story. It's 50-something verses long, and I'm not going to read every one of them, just so y'all know. <laughs> Pastor Carl would say, I'm reading through it. If you haven't read your Bible, you're getting it today. Listen, I... <laughs> 
I can preach for a while, so I don't want to. I don't want to add anything. I don't have to. So we're going to take verses that we need today. We're going to dissect and pick them apart, and we're going to go with that. So let's start at verse uh, one. First Samuel seventeen, verse one. We'll go through verse four. It says this. Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Soco in Judah. They pitched camp at Ephesdemim between Soco and Ezekah. Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up their battle lines to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another with the valley between them. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. He was over nine feet tall. Now, many people skip right over that. It says that he was a champion. It says that Goliath was a champion. What does that mean? Does that mean like he was like had gold medals, that he competed in the Olympics, that he had a gold belt? No. The word champion means somebody who stands between. See, Goliath was the one that stood between the army of the Philistines and the army of, of Israel. He was the one that, that, that the Philistines chose. He was the voice that the Philistines chose to send out to stand between Israel and this other mountain. We all have a mental giant. A voice that the enemy uses day in and day out. See, for 40 days, they sent Goliath out. 40 days. This was the champion. This was the one that they chose to stand between them and Israel. And every one of us has a champion that's standing between us and something else. A voice that the enemy uses. See, and every one of our voices are different. But guess what? Every day he sends that voice out. That voice that says you're not enough. That voice that says you don't measure up. That voice that says you're worthless. You're not saved. You're not forgiven. You're not loved. You're not accepted. Every day the enemy chooses a champion to send out against your life. Every day. And what does that champion do? He stands between you and your destiny. He stands between you and your future. He stands between you and all that God has for you. And if you don't subdue that giant, you'll be just like Israel, stuck on the same mountain for a long period of time. There is a champion that the enemy has chosen against you. There is a voice that he sends out against you. And that voice's job is to paralyze you. Let me tell you something. Goliath knew where they were at. If he's so strong... And the Philistines are so strong, why didn't they just go attack them? If Satan is so great, why don't he just come and put his hands on you and kill you? Because he can't. Not without permission from God, he can't do that. But what he can do is he can put his words on you. What he can do is come out day after day and put words on you and de defeat you that way. And that's why so many people are defeated because they don't understand the tactics of the enemy. He plays right here. This is where he gets you right here. Every day, day in and day out, he's sending out a champion to keep you. To keep you stagnant, to keep you in the same place you've been in for the last 40 days, 40 years. If you don't subdue that giant, you will never advance. You will always be where you are and what you are, never doing what God's called you to do unless you subdue those giants. Whew. Let's move on. Let's go to verse 8 through 9. It says, Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him, have him come down to me. 
If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. So there was a deal that was made. Goliath said, listen, this is how it's going to go. I'm their champion. You pick a champion. And I'm going to fight him. And if he beats me, we'll be your slaves. We'll serve you. But if I beat him, then you'll be our slaves forever, for the rest of your life. That's the deal. You see these giants that you face? The deal is, if you don't beat them, you'll serve them. The deal is, if you don't overcome anxiety, if you don't overcome depression, if you don't overcome fear and worry and loneliness and rejection, if you don't overcome those things, the deal is, you serve them. You become a slave to those things. Why? Because for the rest of your life, every time those things call, you go running. You might want to go somewhere, your anxiety kicks up, guess what? You ain't moving. You might want to do something for God. You might want to speak for, speak for God. If fear says you're not, you're not. That makes you a slave. If you don't overcome these things, you will serve them all the days of your life. That's why we can't tolerate that. That's why we need to get free and free indeed. Because we have something God's calling us to do. But on the other hand, if you pick the right champion, if you pick the right person to represent you to go, go to battle for you, and you win, then the deal is those things serve you. Now, how can those things serve me? How can anxiety and depression and fear and work, how can those things serve me? It's easy. Because, see, when you get the victory over those things, every time somebody's dealing with them, you can go up to them and you could use those things. Now those things serve you. Now when somebody's dealing with something, now you can say, anxiety, I got that right here. I used to serve this. Now it serves me. Now I use that instead of it using me. Now it's part of my testimony. And guess what? It brings glory to God. For now on, those things, I don't serve those things. Those things work for me. And they testify to the greatness and goodness of my champion, my Jesus. Those things serve me. Now let's look at some of the verses that were heard on that field. Let's go verse 10 through 11. Then the Philistines said, This day I defy the ranks of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. The first voice that was heard on, the, on, on that field, on the minefield, was the voice of fear, anxiety, hopelessness, and discouragement. That's the first voice that was heard. When Goliath started speaking, it says that they were dismayed. They didn't move. Fear will paralyze you. Fear will keep you from going and doing anything for God. And fear is just a word. Fear doesn't physically do anything to you. Fear is a word. It's a lie from the devil to keep you from moving, keep you at bay. Fear will paralyze you. Fear will keep you from doing anything for God. Let me tell you something. The church is dealing with a spirit of fear. Believe it or not. You say, how is that true? If the church was, wasn't dealing with fear, this world would have been won over. But fear has paralyzed the church of Jesus Christ. Fear has kept you from sharing your testimony with your brother, with your sister, with your neighbor, with your family. Fear has kept us at bay. 
The enemy doesn't have to put his hand on you. He speaks the word over you, and it causes you to be so afraid and so paralyzed that you don't do nothing for God. The next voice is the voice of David's brother and King Saul. Let's read on. David asked the men standing near him, what would be done for the man who kills the Philistine and removes this, this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the army of the living God? They repeated to him what they had been saying and told him, this is what we, will be done for the man who kills him. When Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the desert? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch a battle. Now what have I done, said David? Can I even speak? He then turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter, and the men answered him as before. What David said was overheard and reported to Saul, and Saul sent for him. David said to Saul, Let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, you are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a boy, and he has been fighting from his youth. Do you hear all the voices that were spoken against David here that we just, we just skip over? Like we just focus on David and Goliath. Do you see all the voices that were coming against David? The voices that we just heard is the voice of rejection, the voice of insignificance, and the voice of inadequacy. David's brother asked David, what are you doing here? As to say, like, David, what, what are you doing here, dude? Who are you? Nobody wants you here. Go back home. That's the voice of rejection. That's the voice that tells you nobody likes you. Nobody wants you. You're not popular. That's the voice heard when a mother or a father leaves a child and they feel rejected all the days of their life. That's that voice that's heard. That voice will keep you. He then tells David, he says, go back and go tend to those few sheep you have. Another translation says there's eight sheep. That's the voice of insignificance. That's the voice that tells you that you don't have what it takes. That's the voice that tells you, look at your life. Look what you have. Come on, David, you got eight sheep, dude. We're warriors. We're fighters here, man. You can't be over here with us. You're nothing. That's the voice that makes you look at what you have and keeps you from what God has for you. David did not let that stop him. David at the time has eight sheep, right? But David would one day be the king of Israel. David would one day have more than all of them. David didn't let what he had dictate who he would become. You can't look at what you have because the enemy will tell you, look at you. Look at your finances. Look at what you got. You got nothing. He's doing that because he knows what you're going to become. David didn't let what he had dictate who and what he would become. Let me tell you this. I didn't get my high school diploma. I can't tell you how many voices I had to overcome. I can't tell you how many voices would tell my mother, wait, your son's dropping out? What's going to become of his life? Where's he going to work? He's going to work a meaningless job. He's not going to have anything. What's going to happen to him? He's going to be homeless. All of this stuff, all these voices that I heard, all these voices that says because of what I had would dictate what I would become. I didn't listen to one of them. Every one of those people that looked at me and said I would become nothing, I outdid every one of them. 
I outworked every one of them. I made more money than every one of them. I became more than all of them. And I'm not saying that to brag. I'm saying it to let you know that those voices are lies. You are not what you, are, what you have. You are who God says you are. I don't care what you have. You have eight sheep. You know how many voices told me that about this ministry? Man, what, man, what you got over there? What you got, eight people in the Bible study? What you got, eight sheep? Man, what y'all got, 12 people in a Sunday service? We got 500. We got 1,000. We got 10,000. There's churches on TV with 20,000, 70,000. Man, what you have is meaningless. It's insignificant. It won't amount to nothing. I didn't listen to one of those voices. If I would have listened to those voices, you know how many lives would not have been touched today? You know how many souls would not have been saved? You know how many people would still be bound? If I would have listened to the voice of insignificance telling me I didn't have enough? You can't listen to the voices that, that want you to look at what you have. You need to look at the God who has everything. Cattle on a thousand hill. It's not about me. It's about him. If I need it, he'll provide it for me. It's not about me. Y'all with me? Then Saul said, you're not able to fight. You're too small. He's too big. That's the voice of inadequacy. That's the voice that tells you you don't have enough experience. That's the voice that tells you you're too young. You don't have what it takes. You can't listen to that voice. Paul had to talk to Timothy about that. Paul said, Timothy, listen to me. He said, don't let anybody look down on you for your youth. There's people 60, 70-year-old, 70, 80-year-old. It's not about age. It's about the God who's in you. Out of the mouth of babes, the Bible says, listen, babies can preach, children can preach, young adults can preach. It ain't about age. It's about the God who is with you. You can't let people look down on you because of your age. Jesus was only 30 years old. That means everybody over him couldn't, couldn't receive from him. That's not true. Don't let people look down on you for your age and for what you don't have. Now let's go on to the next voice. Verse 34 through 39. But David said to Saul, Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, he said, I went after it. I struck it and I rescued the sheep from what? From its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair. I struck it and I killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the army of the living God. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I'm not used to them, so he took them off. So Saul gives David his armor. Now David's a young boy. Saul, the Bible says, stood head and shoulders over the rest. So Saul is like this big man. And Saul puts this armor on David, and it's too big for him. He, he, he's, trying to, he's trying to walk in what Saul just put on him, but he can't. It's too big. So he had to take it off. That armor spoke a word to David that day. 
That armor is a voice. You know what the voice of? It's the voice of comparison. It's the voice that tells you that the person next to you is better than you. It's the voice that tells you this girl is prettier than you. This man is, is, is more, better looking than you. It's the voice that tells you that person has got more money than you. And when you try to start comparing yourself to other people, you begin to lose the fight. You can't compare yourself to somebody else. You can't put on what somebody else has. You need to walk your walk, fight your fight, and run your race, and stop looking at the person next to you because the voice of comparison becomes coveting. It becomes jealousy. And those two things will take you down. You need to stop looking at the person next to you. You'll hear voices like, man, you got big shoes to fill. That's so discouraging. Like, I got to live up to something. Like, I, now I got now I to live up to something that somebody's put on me. You can't do that. You know how discouraged I would be if I tried to put on Pastor Carl's armor? People might tell me, oh, man, you got big shoes to fill. You're coming up behind Pastor Carl. You know how discouraged that can make me? How can I walk in his shoes? If I put on his armor with all the things that he's done in God, it would make me feel so small. And it would discourage me and make me quit. But I'm here to tell you, he didn't get to where he's at because he was looking and comparing himself to somebody else. He got to where he's at because he was looking at God and he was going after God and he didn't worry about the man next to him. I have my own walk, my own race and my own fight. And I got to live and do what God has called me to do. And you need to live and do what God has called you to do. God has made you unique. If God wanted you to be like somebody else, he'd have made you a twin. You are unique. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are special. And you have a purpose and a plan and a calling on your life. And you need to stop comparing yourself to the person next to you. That will hinder you. Stop comparing yourself. Now, we haven't even got to the fight between David and Goliath. You realize that? You realize all the stuff that David, that Saul, that Israel went through before they even got to Goliath? People don't even look at that. They don't look at all the stuff that David just went through. David could have been discouraged. David could have left. David could feel defeated, hopeless, rejected. He could do all of those things. By the time he got to Goliath, he could be so beat down and so worn out from everything he's been through. And that's how it is with us. You see, people look at you, and they don't look at what you've been through. They think that their story starts right here when they met you. They don't realize your story started when you were born. They don't realize all the voices, all the things you had to overcome, and they look at you and they're like, man, why are you so angry? Why are you so depressed? Why are you so lonely? Man, because I've been through some stuff. My story didn't start right here. You pick up the story of David and Goliath, man, you got to look back. You pick up my story, man, it's not, it didn't start here when, when you met me when you walked in the building. My story goes back. I've been through some stuff. And the reason why you're having such a hard time with Goliath is because of all the stuff in your past. The reason why you're struggling to get victory today is because of all the defeats that you suffered before. That's why I'm telling you, you need to sign up for this Freedom Encounter. That Freedom Encounter is going to deal with all of those giants in your past. We are going to deal with everything that you've ever been through throughout your whole life. Very specific. We are going to tackle every single thing. That way, when you do stand before Goliath, you're refreshed, you're free, and you're ready to go. I encourage you again, sign up for that freedom encounter. 
Now let's finish the rest of the story. Verse 40 through 51. It says, Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand approached the Philistine. Meanwhile, the Philistine with his shield bearer in front of him kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was only a boy, ruddy and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And this Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said. I'll give you flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the army of Israel whom you have defied. This day the Lord will hand you over to me. I'm telling you right now. This day, whatever giant you're facing, whatever fear, anxiety, depression, loneliness, rejection, whatever you're facing, you need to have the same heart of David. That this day, today, before I leave this church, God will hand you over to me. God will give me the victory today. He says, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. Today I will give the carcass of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth. And the whole world will know there is a God in the tabernacle. No. <laughs> in Israel. <laughs> All those gathered around him will know that it's not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's. And he will give all of you into our hands. Y'all need to receive that. As the Philistines moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. So you need to stop running from your giants. You need to run to them. David didn't, didn't wait for him to get to him. He said, you want to fight? He said, the Lord's going give to give me victory today, and he went at him. Listen, when I make altar call today, when I ask you if you want to get set free, don't sit in your chair. You need to run towards the battle and say, today I'm getting free in Jesus' name. Verse 49, reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell face down on the ground. So David tramped over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. David ran and stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine's sword, drew it from his scabbard. After he killed him, he cut off his head with a sword. When the Philistines saw the hero was dead, they turned and they ran. Now, I think it's first important to clarify something in this story, a big misconception. Many pastors, many preachers will preach this story like you're David. And it will get you all fired up like, yes, I'm going to take down a giant today. Let me give you something real quick. We are not David. We are Israel. We are that one that's on the mountain, paralyzed with fear, scared, hopeless, and afraid. That's who we are. David was a king, a shepherd, a warrior, a fighter. David is Christ. David represents that person that goes before you and fights the battle for you. See, the enemy's got you all psyched up. Oh, I can take this thing down. No, you can't. You need to choose a champion. You need to choose somebody that's going to go out before you because I'm telling you, he will keep you. We all know subconsciously that we need a champion. Everybody knows they need a deliverer. Everybody. That's why when people are going through things mentally, they always turn into something. See, I know I need a champion. So what do they do? They turn to drugs. Man, I can't deal with this mental giant. I can't deal with this thing. So I got to choose a champion. Or who am I going to pick? Oh, I'm going to pick this right here, this drug. 
and guess what? You lose, and the deal is, if you lose, you become a slave. So you use the drug, you pick the wrong champion, he don't win the fight, now you're a slave to that thing for the rest of your life. Now you're a slave to that mental giant, because that didn't go away, and now you're a slave to a drug. You pick alcohol, you pick prescription medication. Why are people picking all these things? Because everybody knows they need a champion. The problem is they're picking the wrong champion. There's only one champion who saves and delivers. His name is Jesus. There's only one champion. I'm liking this sermon, y'all. <laughs> I'm enjoying this. Now, David told Saul, now hear this. David told Saul, he said, I killed the lion and I killed the bear. What would you think if some young boy, says he was handsome, like, what would you think if some, like, young boy came in through the door, like, all dressed in, like, preppy clothes and was like, yeah, I just killed a lion and a bear? You'd be like, no, you didn't. No, you, no, you didn't. They probably looked at him like, this dude, what is he talking about? So Saul says, you want to go fight, go fight. So David goes out. I'm sure everybody is probably watching him. All the Israelites are probably like, this dude's about to get slaughtered. They probably were like, watch this young kid. He's going against Goliath. He's going against the biggest giant they have. He is about to get, and they were probably like, wait up a second here. <laughs> Did he just throw a stone? Did he? <laughs> Did he just take down that giant? They probably were like, wait up a second here. This dude is legit. Like, that dude, everything he said, I believe it now. He says, I didn't listen. I didn't believe when he said he took down a lion and a bear, but I just witnessed it with my own eyes. With one stone, it proved that he was who he said he was. With one stone, it proved that he was all that he said he was and that he was all that he said he can do. With one stone, he silenced all the doubt. With one stone, it didn't take more than one stone. With one stone, he proved that he was all he said he was. With one stone, they looked at him and they said, that's my champion. That's my warrior. That's my fighter. That's my deliverer. That's my redeemer. With one stone, all these claims he made, now I believe them because of one stone. Jesus made some claims too. Jesus made some claims, too. He claimed he was the son of God. He claimed he was our redeemer. He claimed that he was our healer. He claimed he was our friend, our shepherd. He claimed a lot of things. The Pharisees said, you make a lot of claims, now prove it. Prove it. He said, I'll prove it. He said, bury this man. He said, I'm going to give you a sign. He said, the sign of Jonah. As Jonah was in the belly of the whale for three days and came out, he said, so the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth. He said, in three days, I'm coming out. They doubted him. They didn't think he was who he said he was. They didn't think he could do what he said he could do. They didn't think his words had any merit. One stone. One stone. When that stone rolled away from that grave, he proved he was who he said he was and that he could do what he said he can do. It only took one stone to take down our giants. It only took one stone. Let me tell you, it only took one stone for me. Guess what? He rolled away my stone. And when my stone rolled away, he proved he was all that he said he was. Because this man was in darkness. This man was bound in death. 
I had nothing. And he rolled away my stone and he called forth my voice. And I said, that is my champion. Because nobody else was able to set me free from addiction. Nobody else was able to slay my giants but you. You are my champion. You are my healer. You are my redeemer. You are all that you said you are. And my faith is in you because nobody else rolled away my stone. With one stone. That one stone slays all your giants. You want to know how? Because everything was rotten on that one stone. If that stone was not removed, then everything he said meant nothing. The cross without the resurrection means nothing. Many men died on the cross. But that resurrection proved everything. Everything he said about you, because of that stone, is all true. Everything he said he can do for you, because of that one stone, is all true. Every word. He didn't just talk the talk. There was a lot of great gurus and a lot of great teachers and a lot of great philosophers, and they all had this great teaching and theories and all this stuff. None of them beat my giant. None of them overcame the grave. That is every man's greatest giant. Only one with one stone overcame your greatest giant. That proves he is who he said he is. That's how my giants are slayed, because every time that giant tries to tell me something, because of that stone, I can go to the Word and I can say, nope, God is who he said he is, and this is true, and I know it. That's how my giants fall. One stone, one God, one champion. Once David threw the stone, the next thing he did was he cut off the giant's head. He cut it off with a sword. The Bible says that we have a sword. Sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, the Word of Truth. That is your sword. And I believe it. See, now I'm using that sword. Why? Because I just saw my giant fall with a stone. The word of God is the word of truth. Do you know how you overcome every lie from the devil? Do you know how he cut off that giant's head that was spewing out all of those lies? With the sword. The word of truth. It slays every single lie the devil has to you. Everything he says about you. How do you beat him? With the sword of the spirit. It's all about faith. People don't realize everybody's got faith. It's all about what you put your faith in. The reason why you're bound is because you're putting your faith in all of those lies of the devil. The reason why you're bound is because you're putting your faith in everything he's telling you. You believe those lies. Otherwise, they have no hold on you. When he tells you you're no good, you're nothing, you're not going to amount to nothing, you're addicted, you'll always be addicted, all of these different things he's telling you, nobody wants you, you never measure up. The reason why those things have hold on you is because you put your faith in those things. You put your faith in what the enemy says and it binds you. You put your faith in what the word of God says and the word will set you free. You want to get set free, believe what God said and stop believing everything else. That's where freedom comes. Now I want to look at the voice of lies versus the voice of truth. Let's start with the voice of fear versus the voice of truth. You're dealing with fear. Psalm 23, 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, David said, I will fear no evil, 
for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You're dealing with fear? David said, remind yourself that you have a shepherd. What is a shepherd? A shepherd is somebody who cares for the sheep, tends the sheep, cleans the sheep, feeds the sheep, protects the sheep, loves the sheep, all of these different things. When you start really believing that instead of the lies of the devil, when you start believing that God is your shepherd, that he cares for you, protects you, provides for you, and loves you, what can you possibly be afraid of? You need to believe that. When you believe the voice of truth, the lies go. Fear leaves. God is my shepherd. He's with me. I don't fear. What should I be afraid of? What can man do to me? The voice of rejection versus the voice of truth. You feel rejected, right? What does the word of God say? Ephesians 1.5. He predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and his will. You feel rejected. The word of God says you've been adopted. Do you know what that means? We don't get to pick and choose our children. We don't get to pick and choose whether it's a boy or a girl, their height, their hair color. We don't get to pick those things. But when you adopt somebody, when you adopt a child, you have to go looking for that child. When you adopt a child, you pick that child. You want that child. You receive that child. The fact that you were adopted means that somebody was looking for you. It means that somebody handpicked you. It means that somebody wanted you and accepted you. How can you feel rejected when the word of God says that God wanted you, he adopted you? How could you feel rejected when you believe that? You are not rejected, you are accepted. Now the next voice goes right along with that. The voice of worthlessness versus the voice of truth. So you know it's expensive to adopt a child. The fact that, that you were adopted means that God paid something for you. The Bible says, don't you know that you were bought at a price? Like, don't you know, like, it cost God something to get you? Like, he didn't just pick you up on the side of the road and ask you if you want to just tag along on his journey. Like, he had to actually pay something to get you. You realize that. 1 Peter 1, 18-19 says, For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed, from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. It says that God wanted you, he adopted you, and he bought you, not with silver or gold, but with precious blood. Let me tell you about worth. A lot of people don't understand this. Worth is not what you feel. And worth is not what somebody else says about you. Worth is what somebody's willing to pay for you. Let me tell you in, in house terms. Let's say I have a house. And I say, man, I feel down about this house. I feel like this house is only worth $20,000. It's, it's no good. So I'm going to get it appraised. So an appraisal comes along, and he says, you thought that was worth $20,000? The house is only worth $10,000. Now we got what I felt. Now we got what somebody else's uh, opinion. But then somebody else comes along, and they say, I'll give you a million for it. You know what the house is worth? It's worth a million. It's not worth what somebody says. It ain't worth how you feel. 
It's not about how you feel. It's about what somebody's willing to pay for it. The fact that the Bible says that God bought you with precious and priceless blood, that's your worth. It ain't about what you feel. It ain't about what somebody says. It's about what he was willing to pay. That says that you're worth to God. You are precious and priceless in the sight of God. How could you feel worthless when the word of God says you are priceless? The voice of truth silenced all the voices you've been dealing with. The last voice is the voice of loneliness versus the voice of truth. Hebrews 13, 5 through 8. God has said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. God, the word of God says he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. You feel alone? You might even look alone. You're not alone. Let me tell you something. Your feelings will, will lie to you. How many times have your feelings got you in a mess? You can't live your life by feelings. And the Bible says we walk by faith and not by sight. You can't go by what it looks like. You need to go by what God says. If God says you're not alone, if he says he's with you, guess what, Jack? He's with you. He's with you. What voice will you believe? You start believing those voices, the voice of lies, the voice that tells you you're all by yourself, guess what? As a man thinks, so is he. You need to start believing what God says. Start thinking about those things, those things that are lovely and pure. But I like how this verse goes on. It said, remember your leaders. Imitate their way of life, for Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Scripture says, remember your leaders. Remember the things they told you. Remember when they stood up and told you about the God who got them through things. Why? Because Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That means as we stand up here and we tell people about what God got us through, it's a testimony that the same God who got me through it will get you through it. I like how that song was singing. It's even in Revelations, I think, 19. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. That means what he did for another, he'll do it again. Every time we stand up and tell somebody that, guess what, God got me through anxiety, God got me through fear, God got me through depression, I'm, t I'm, I'm prophesying. Why? Because I'm telling them that the same God who delivered me of that can deliver you. He's the same God. Yesterday, today, and forever, there's no difference. So I prophesy. The same God who delivered me will deliver you. Now I want to tell you a testimony. So I feel qualified to stand up here and speak on this subject, on mental illness, on mental bondage. Not because I'm just some preacher, but because of my experiences. Everything we talked about, all the voices that we talked about, I encountered every one of them. I dealt with every one of them. Depression. Let me tell you something. I used to sit before I got saved, and I'd had, I would have no problems. Everything's going fine in my life, and it was like a wave of depression would come over me. 
And I would tell the person I was with, I would say, I, I don't know what's going on. I just feel like all of a sudden I'm depressed. And they didn't understand it. Now, man, just stop. Stop thinking like that. Change your ways. And see, like I was talking about the word of God versus the word of the devil. But sometimes God delivers differently. God will deliver you by the word, but sometimes God has to deliver you by his mighty hand. Sometimes things that we're dealing with mentally are more than just changing our mind. Sometimes it's a sickness. Sometimes mental things are literally an illness. It would literally be like you're looking at somebody who's getting ready to catch a cold or get the flu, and you tell them, stop it. They're like, I would love to stop it. Like, I would love to just change my mind, but I'm, I'm feeling sick. Like, this thing is on me, man. I used to struggle with depression, bad. And I would just have to sit there and just deal it and ride it out. Anxiety? Let me tell you, I don't know anybody who's had anxiety as bad as me. Not yet. When I was 10 years old, and I've never shared this story publicly. Just a couple people here and there. When I was a young boy, I struggled with anxiety so bad, and I didn't know what anxiety was. And so it started in like kindergarten. It actually started in first grade. When I would be brought to school, I felt like a prisoner. My anxiety would start so bad and I felt trapped. I felt like, like I would look at the clock like, when am I going to get set free of this prison I'm in? And it had nothing to do with school. It had no, I had no problems at school. It had nothing to do with that. I was struggling with anxiety. And so all throughout my elementary, I would... I would fake sicknesses. I would fake like my stomach was hurting. I would fake like I had headaches. I would fake all of these different things just to break free from this, this trap. Finally, I get to fifth grade, and it's still on me. And I remember I was in, in class, and I told the teacher, I said, listen, I said, I feel like i got to throw up. She said, well, go to the bathroom. They, they were on to the way I was doing things. They were on to it. They didn't know what I was dealing with. And so I go in the bathroom, and I'm in the stall, and they got some other kids in there. So I'm, I'm acting like I'm gagging, you know, I'm acting like I'm throwing up, trying to put on the show. And I go back, and I told the teacher I throw up. She says, yeah, just, just wait till after the school day and then go home. So I go home, and I, I'm in the bathroom, and I'm, I'm, I'm trying to gag and force myself to throw up, and I threw up. And I'm, now looking back, I know it's spiritual. So I told my grandma and my mother, I said, I, I threw up, you know. So they were like, okay, you probably have the flu. So after two weeks of still throwing up, they were like, well, maybe we need to bring you to the doctor. I go to the doctor. He puts me on some medication. I'm still throwing up. And so I'm not stopping. Like, I'm, I'm, I refuse to go back to this prison. And so now I'm in a hospital. They admit me into East Jefferson Hospital where I would spend a year of my life in a bed with IVs in my arm, because of anxiety. Every night, four in the morning, nurses would come in, change my IVs. My veins would be popping out because they were so swollen. Ten-year-old boy. I couldn't take it. I spent a year at East Jefferson until finally they had nothing else for me, and they brought me to Children's Hospital where I would spend another year of my life. I spent a year of my life dying at Children's Hospital. By the end of it all, I was pale white. My face was sunk in. I was literally dying because I would rather die in a hospital than live with anxiety. Finally, they brought a doctor in from, from Texas, from Houston. And he thought he had what it, what it took to heal me. He said, we're going to do stomach surgery. So I literally let these people cut on my stomach 
because of my anxiety. Because I had rode this lie for so long, I didn't know how to back out of it. And it's like the enemy was telling me, oh, you're in it now. Do you have nowhere else to go? So I was literally willing to die. I remember one morning I woke up with a tube down my throat all the way into my stomach as a young boy, and I had to sit there while they pulled it out, full of blood. So after the surgery, I, I made a commitment. I made a decision. I said, you know what? Once the surgery happens, I'm going to make everybody think it took. I'm going to stop forcing myself to throw up. I'm going to make them think it, work, it worked. So I stand here to tell you I've been through some stuff. I've dealt with mental things. I've dealt with depression, anxiety, fear, insecurity, inadequacy. I've dealt with it all. I've been through it all. And as a testimony, I'm telling you, I have been delivered from every single one of them. That every single one of them, I don't take medication, I don't take drugs, I don't take alcohol. My champion's name is Jesus. He set me free from every single one of those things. And I sit here and tell you as a testimony and as a prophecy that the same God who delivered me from every one of those things can do it for you. You see, I'm here to tell you giants fall. You see, once Israel saw Goliath go down, you know he had four brothers? Israel, they took them all down. These mental giants, these things that people make you feel like they're immovable, that you can't get free of them, that's a lie. And once you see one fall, then you say, wait up a second here. These giants do fall. I can get free from depression and anxiety and drugs and alcohol. I can get set free. They do fall. I stand here to tell you giants fall. I don't know what you're dealing with today, but I'm telling you today is the day that your giant falls. Today is the day that your giant falls. I don't know what you're dealing with mentally, but we're starting with mental freedom, and it's starting right here in the house of God today. Do you believe that? Stand with me. If I could have every head bow and every eye closed. The first mental giant we need to deal with this morning is a giant of fear. Fear. 